Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Sometimes you can only find heaven by slowly backing away from hell. Carrie Fisher. One thing I'll say about about recovery that I don't think I've mentioned without speaking to anyone before is it it took some time, right? Like uh, so that was August of 2018, and I can honestly tell you that it probably wasn't until the fall of 2020 where I actually felt like completely healed as a human being. Right, like, uh, and if I didn't have like all the mountains and peaks and the hiking to do between there, I'm not sure how that process would have gone. Um, to kind of give it to you in a nutshell, just to talk about you know recovery for a moment, mm-hmm. it's like the first few months, right? The first few months, the way I can describe it is, you know, when you're when you're in that fucking haze constantly, right? That just that state of confusion and and. I guess delusion and, and just whatever, right? It took a few months. We'll probably say two or three months before, just for like the clouds to clear. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just for like the fucking haze to go away. After that, um, it was kind of like your body started to physically heal. Like the weight started coming off. You know, and 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 whatever was building up in your body from all that, all those toxins and everything you were constantly feeding it was starting to slowly filter its way out and your body was starting to metabolize normal again and your your appetite comes back to normal and it's not that i didn't have one before but it's just it's it's a different the way your body reacts and digests things and, and just it works is different right um so then then it was probably like a few months of you know all right like things are physically starting to work better you know i'm starting to feel better like within within nine months eight or nine months even though I tried to lose weight before, I couldn't. Um, I was back down to like 160 pounds, which is, you know, 160, 165 is kind of like an ideal weight for somebody my frame and size, right? So that kind of just, it's just crazy how it just fell off. That actually happened within the first few months. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Oh, 
Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute to help us out. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest. This week, we are taking a trip across the country to the Northeast to talk about New Hampshire and the White Mountains. Helping us on our trek today is a man who is very familiar with that area and who has some stories to share. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod, Neil Lyon, creator of Neil's Simple Life Instagram and YouTube accounts. How's it going, Neil? Uh, very good. Very good. Thank you for having me, sir. Absolutely. Now, I know you're not a, a big through hiker or backpacker, um, but one of the things we do here on the pod is we go by trail name. I'm, I'm Doc. It doesn't say that on my driver's license or my paychecks. I picked it up on the trail. Uh, is there any similar... Uh, tradition with with uh, mountain climbing in New Hampshire? Uh, well, yeah, some folks got some trail names. I guess a couple of my friends that call me Prancer. Prancer? <laughs> and, yeah, and then uh, a couple of my other buddies will call me the mayor because I, I guess I'm I guess I'm a little popular. Okay. Do you have a preference for which one we use tonight? Uh, you, whatever, man. It's cool with me. I, 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 I kind of ring for it. <laughs> I, I kind of like the mayor. Yeah. All right. We could do that. The mayor. Buddy Phil would appreciate that. All right. Thank you, Phil. Is he the one that bestowed that upon you? Yeah. yeah him and my buddy, Greg. Okay. Phil and Greg. Nice job. Right, guys. I feel, I feel silly saying it, but I can appreciate, <laughs> I can appreciate the love. All right. Hey, uh, is it just when I, when I, when I address you, is it mayor or is it the mayor? I mean, is the an integral part of the trail name? <laughs> it's, it's the mayor. The mayor. Okay. Hey, uh, the mayor. Have you listened to any episodes on the uh, of the uh, John Freaker Mirror Pod before? I have not, fortunately, and we mean to. Okay, be that's a okay. Downer with that, but uh, no, I, I don't usually listen to many podcasts. Okay, that, that's all right. I'm only asking because I want to make sure that you are aware of a segment that happens near the end of the episode called the Pro Tip Inside of the Week. It appears every episode, and that's where I turn to my guest and I ask the guest to share some trail wisdom that's going to make um, our listeners' next outdoor experience even better. So you'll have a chance to, to divulge your pro tip towards the end of the episode. I can help with some of that with the hiking in the weights for sure. Okay. All right. Hey, I, uh, I've got another feature that I kind of just spring on my guests occasionally, and it's called Current Events. And so I, I would scan through the headlines and pick a, a story about outdoor adventure that's in the news these days, and, and we have a little conversation about it. So I, lucky for you, we're going to be talking about the Barkley Marathons. Oh, oh, I've heard those are pretty vicious. Yeah. Have you, are you familiar with those? Uh, I know a couple of people, I believe, that have participated. Um, yeah. I heard they're pretty gnarly. Yeah. Have you seen any of the documentaries that have been made about them? I have, and I can't remember which one it was, um, but so I did two, see one. Yeah, there are two real popular ones. There's uh, the Barkley Marathons, the race that eats its young. Mm -hmm. And then there's the Barkley Marathons where dreams go to die. I think it was that one. Oh, okay. Then you're going to be, be wrong. I could be wrong. You're going to be well-versed then. about a year ago. Okay. <laughs> you, you, this is going to sound familiar then because uh, the headline I saw today was that Gary Robbins has made the announcement that he is not going to be competing in this year's Barkley marathons. And 
Gary Robbins is the subject of that second documentary I mentioned. Uh, the- is he the one that like lost it two years in a row, like barely by the skin of his ass? That's correct. Like, just some real couple of really unfortunate or something. It was really really close. And yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. I, that's, I believe that's the one I saw. That's right. That's it's, it. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. And some hardcore shit. Mm-hmm. So he attempted it twice, in you know, once in 2017 and once in 2018. Like you said, he just barely missed out. Uh, and it's documented in the documentary where dreams go to die. He wants to become the 16th finisher in the Berkeley marathons. It's just crazy to me that a race has been a long, been around for, you know, 30 plus years. And there's only been 15 finishers of the race. That's insane. That's insane. I couldn't even imagine. I couldn't even imagine. <laughs> yeah. All kinds of, uh, mystery and hype surround that race. The, the race organizer, uh, Lazarus Lake is a very interesting individual and uh, secrecy surrounding the, the application process and just a lot of quirks uh, with that whole race. It makes it makes it very, very appealing. Didn't it have something to do with a book, too? Like they have to find pages to a book or. Yeah. Wrong about that. I... No, you're not. You're not. You know what, what they do is, you know, to, to to make sure that every participant goes the full circle of the course they have i think 11 or 12 books spaced out along the the course they have to find the books you know they could be hidden underneath a a rock or in in a tree or somewhere they have to find the books and then they tear out the page that corresponds to their bib number and they have to bring all 11 pages back to prove that they have completed the the loop yeah yeah it's just bonkers it's bonkers dude (laughs) what a what a what a what a uh, wrinkle to throw at them yeah, so I guess he was injured in 2019, so he didn't compete. 2020 was canceled because of COVID, and then I think last year he didn't want to risk uh, coming down from Canada to, to participate and then uh, contracting COVID and not be able to go back because of quarantine rules or whatever. So he didn't participate last year. And I guess he's he's come to the realization that you know he's, he's been – uh, I don't say he's, he's been missing, but he, he, he fears that he doesn't want to miss too much of his son – uh, his son's childhood and growing up. So he's going to forego the race this year to, to spend some more time with the family. It's a quality priority. I have a lot of respect for that. Yep. Yep. And Hey, have you, uh, have you ever heard of the outdoor, the ultralight backpacking company, outdoor vitals? No, I have not. So another current event for my listeners, uh, it's our, one of our sponsors, and I uh, just received a nice gift gift bag in the, in the mail containing a, a Ventus, adventure hoodie and some Satu trail pants and they are mm-hmm. phenomenal. I mean, they are high nice. quality. I'm looking forward to trying those out and, and kind Hell of yeah. uh, giving them a review. Yeah. A few other people should try them out for sure then. That's right. All right. So that leads right into our next segment, which is our must bring gear review sponsored by that ultralight backpacking gear company, outdoor vitals. And here's how it works. Um, I know that you don't do uh necessarily multi-day hikes or through hiking but if you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a uh, a summit attempt uh, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed and if you've got a particular brand for that piece of gear even better so mr mayor what is your must bring piece of gear uh so i would have to say this time of year is your hard shell your hard shell is going to be absolutely crucial you know maybe followed by a couple items but having that hard shell that proper layer in the wind and, and God forbid you, you run into any, uh, you know, moisture, rain, snow, uh, any, any sort of thing like that. You, you, you understand, um, if you've been here being above tree line is that's the one critical, 
one critical piece of gear that's going to, you know, keep everything else kind of in line at least and keep your temperature up and keep you as dry as you possibly can be. It's, it's, it's critical. Yeah. And do you have a favorite brand for your hard shell? Uh, I mean, I, at the moment I have an Arcterix, uh, mm-hmm. that I'm very happy with triple, uh, triple layer Gore-Tex. I can't remember the exact, exact model. It wasn't cheap. Um, but, uh, having, having used it a number of times now, it's, it's absolutely worth every penny. Um, I'm not taking anything away from any other brand. I can't say either way, but in the end, what, what any individual needs is a proper, um, I'd say at least, you know, Gore-Tex layer, something mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's guaranteed to keep you dry and keep the wind off of you. It's, it's, uh, it's hard to express how, how, how truly critical that is. Yeah. And as we are recording tonight, it is uh, early in January and yes, are, are, you, are you getting out, are you getting out there and getting after it uh, in January up in the white mountains? Oh man, all year rounds. Holy year smokes. Rounds. Yeah. That hard um, shell is going to be important then. Oh, hard shell, you know, and in a multitude of other items, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the hard shell is important year round though, year round 52 weeks a year. That's what we do here. Okay. Most of us. Let's, uh, let's take it. Let's take out your pack and open it up and, and look inside. What, what else do you have in there when you, when you're heading up uh, in January to the top of a mountain? All right. So really fast off the top, um, inside my hyperlight mountain gear, 40 liter is, uh, I will literally typically have three to four uh, jackets, including my hard shell, which is also a luring layer. I have a nice uh, windbreaker that I like to use. I have a vest. I have a puffy. And then I will typically have, if I'm not wearing one of them, I will have two um, two different grade fleeces, I guess you could say, uh, hoodies, one that's a little bit warmer than the other. Um I've always got at least two or three pairs of liner gloves, one pair of midweight gloves and mittens. I have goggles. We have um, sunglasses. Um, always want a headlamp with extra batteries. I use a chargeable one, but I have uh, three separate batteries that I keep charged for that if I ever need it. Uh, plenty of hand warmers and foot warmers just in case. Um, you want lip protection. You know, just some lip balm, things like that. Even some uh, face balms in case you uh, need to keep the wind off your uh, cheeks. It's usually have a number of buffs, merino wool, and then some nylon ones. Uh, I've always got a, silly as it sounds, I have a couple extra um, plastic bags just so I can actually change out my sweaty layers so I can keep dry layers on, which is kind of a little rough when it's cold um, to, to change in about a, a 30 seconds or so to, to expose yourself there, but it's, it helps keep you dry and it only lasts for, uh, you know, a short brief moment. Um, typically I bring at least three to four additional base layer shirts that I can change out if they get wet or sweaty or whatever, followed by a couple more Merino wool layers and uh, always typically about two liters of water. I'm not really sure what else I'm missing. I do have a tripod that I carry with me, a little portable sort of gorilla pod, they're called, um, which are, work really well um, just to hold my phone. And then, of course, spikes. I usually have some micro spikes and I have some more appropriate uh, Hill Sounds or um, Cthulhu K10s. I do also um, own 
your typical um, strap-on crampons, 10 points, um, but I typically save those for the Northern Presidentials if I use them. Wow. Now all of that gear, about 90% of that stuff that you just rattled off was clothing of some sort. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I guess there's a few other things that, you know, that people have, you know, or whatever. Some people bring some different things, but typically day hikes and stuff. Mm-hmm. I have friends that will carry bivvies and, you know, tents and a sleeping bag. I don't typically venture too far out of the places that I'm familiar with. So um, in the winter, I mean, I, I there's plenty of spots to hit, but um, I just don't carry those things myself. I'm not saying the next person should not. You should definitely always take what you're comfortable with. Um, I am very seldomly by myself. Uh, so there's a couple of things I will cheat on. Mm-hmm. And then I always make sure I have uh, electrolytes and salt tabs and things like that in case I encourage cramping or anything like that. I can counteract that. Right. If need be. Now, now you ever do, I mean, are these typically day, you know, you're, you're done in a day kind of hikes or do you ever do multi-day adventures? I have done a few overnights here and there. Okay. Um, but typically, typically, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say this to the chagrin of probably most of the people listening. I am a day hiker. Um, I don't, I'm not really sure. I just, I haven't really taken too much time to get into backpacking. Um, there's certainly some things I'd like to do uh, at some point, but I don't know. I just kind of came out here and started, uh, you know, working in the white mountains and kind of developed into a, a peak bagger and, uh, uh-huh. a lot of single day stuff, you know, getting whatever I can done, you know, during the day or in most daylight hours with some dark on either end of that. But yeah. Hey, uh, Mayor, Mr. Mayor, uh, no chagrin necessary, because as we like to think about it here on the, the John freaking Muir pod, we talk about adventure, outdoor adventure as, you know, being a huge tree with many limbs and there. Each one of those limbs is a different type of adventure. Just, you know, backpacking is just one of those limbs. Peak bagging is a, is another one. And there's, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, various types of outdoor adventure, big wall climbing, kayaking, rafting. I mean, there's all, it goes on and on. So yeah, it's all good stuff. We are, uh, we're looking forward to hearing about uh, your adventures out there. So uh, before we move off of gear, let's, uh, let's do a quick uh, segment here called the hiking pole. And this, this kind of uh, helps me distinguish between am I, am I talking to a crazy person or a sane person? So I'm going to ask you a few questions and, and see which side of the fence you fall on. Sounds all good. Right? You ready? Okay, here we go. Yeah, I am. <laughs> All right. First one, trekking poles or no trekking poles? Ooh, I used trekking poles uh, going up Washington just last Tuesday for the first time in probably a year and a half. And I only used them to make my life a little bit easier. We were going up a steep section uh, of the cog, which is pretty much straight, not straight up, obviously, but it's a pretty good grade for a good two miles. And it just, with the wind and everything, it made life a little easier. So, I'm going to go with, you should have them. I don't, I, I don't use them though. <laughs> okay. It gives me, gives me a <laughs> very me, helpful, it, but I'm stubborn. <laughs> gives me a sense already. All right. Uh, I know this next question might depend on the season, but boots or trail runners. Ooh, uh, that's another tough one. Uh, cold season, always boots. Um, and for someone with, uh, who tends to, to roll their ankle and sprain their ankle like I do, I would probably say year round, but there's just something really comfortable about that low top shoe, whether it's just a hiking shoe or a trail runner that just, mm-hmm. I just don't, I just feel better with rather than with the boot, but the boot is safer. Yeah, it's going to keep your ankles supported just so there's no little, you know, 
mishaps and, 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 you know, ankle biters that can kind of ruin your day. If you're not careful, I ended up missing almost two months this past summer because I busted my ankle over the stupidest thing while we were taking a picture. And all I did was look up, take a step to the left, stepped on a rock that was kind of sitting against a smaller rock and rolled my ankle. And, you know, of course I was a stubborn ass and I walked my way off the mountain. So my peaks counted, but, uh, that dumb little mishap had I had, had I had that two extra inches of support on my ankle, never would have happened. And, you know, I would have been walking fine for two months rather than being laid up and busted up, but you know, whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> All it takes is just one little accident like that. It's and just take you right off the, take you right oh, out for man. a couple of months. Yep. It's always the dumbest shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. All right. And when you do a multi-day excursion, you prefer tent or tarp? I actually really like my, uh, Z-Pax duplex. I've never used a tarp and I don't think I would. I like to be enclosed. Okay. I, I understand that kind of work as you can enclose those two, but I don't know. There's just something about the tent that I, I enjoy. You feel that extra, extra layer of safety being enclosed that, uh, that yeah, thin, yeah. thin bit of tent. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's just something about like being on the grounds makes you feel a little safer. Can't really explain it. Okay. No, I'm not. I'm not talking about a hammock. I'm, I'm talking. Oh, yeah, about- I, that's all right. So that's that's probably where I was thinking for a okay. second. No tarps are on the ground. You no, know, probably a tent. Okay. Especially if it's warmer, because you know the bugs. Right. They probably got bug nets on those too. So again, I don't really know too much about it, but I do have a, a Z-Pax duplex that I've actually slept in many, many times. Uh, both uh on the times i have backpacked as well as um just regular old car camping and stuff well if i had if i had a z-pax duplex it's a a quality piece of gear yeah if i had a z-pax duplex i'd be i'd be sleeping out in the backyard with that thing oh man it's sweet (laughs) all right now how about spacious uh, too yeah how about a sleeping bag or quilt all right so i've had both of those and i'm probably going to go with a sleeping bag Okay. The quilt's nice, and I, I understand it. Like for those, um, you know, the through hikers and more avid backpackers, it uh, you know, saves a little weight. But again, I have something about being enclosed that I'm just comfortable with. So I actually like those Nemo, uh, the Nemo uh, spoon style sleeping bags, the ones that are a little more relaxed fit. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of the one I have now, but uh, sounds like a pair. Of, sounds like a pair of jeans, relaxed fit. Yeah. That's right. You got to yeah. be nice and loose, <laughs> you know, cramped. Like those mummy bags don't do it for me. And then this one probably doesn't apply, but uh, just put yourself in the position of a, of a through hiker. Would you be the, the kind of through hiker that carries a stove or would you cold soak your food? I would want the stove. I have a stove so I can heat things up, make myself hot chocolate and shit like that. Um, yeah. Maybe depending on the time of year, like I could, I could do with, you know, just, constantly having maybe some cold soaked like uh you know grains and dehydrated vegetables and things i think that would work but uh i feel like there's something of a morale booster when you can eat something good and warm when your body wants it okay now despite starting out with you know not not being fond or using trekking poles on a regular basis you actually fall like about an 83 on the the sanity scale so oh, okay. yeah yeah congratulations yeah <laughs> i used to use i used to use trekking poles a lot more but i as my legs get stronger and everything i just i don't know they I, it's kind of weird i feel like i'm more fumbly with them uh i feel more in control if i if i if i'm just concentrating on i, I don't know between just my legs but mm-hmm. Everybody's a little bit different. I have a lot of friends that use them and it is what it is. 
For sure. I, I mean, I'll get a wide variety of answers on that, that poll right there amongst, you know, people who are doing the same thing, you know, through hiking or backpacking, they, they have uh, definite um, preferences one way or the other, and they don't all match up. So it's interesting to see how people play out like that. All right. Hey, before we get too far down the trail, uh, Mr. Mayor, let's, let's talk about uh, your background uh, growing up, what kinds of sports and hobbies you played as a kid. What did your family do in terms of outdoor adventure and how you got uh, involved in this whole outdoor experience? All right. Well, I'm not really sure where to start with all that, but uh, I grew up in North start, at, start, at the, start at the beginning. Yeah. So I grew up born in, in, I was born in Putnam, Connecticut. <laughs> I, uh, I grew up in Northeastern Connecticut, which is pretty much right up in the corner where Massachusetts, Rhode Island and Connecticut meet. It was maybe a town over a few miles from the border of each of those. Um, my father, uh, I used to always go outside when I was younger, you know, I enjoyed being in the woods, uh, behind my grandfather's house, um, which was always, you know, just pretty cool. I mean, anywhere from the time I was like, probably like four or five years old all the way up until, you know, even when I was in high school, it's just enjoyed being back there. Um, sometime growing up, my father used to bring us up to North Conway, New Hampshire every year and, you know, rent a cottage or whatever so i spent um you know at least a couple weeks every summer growing up i spent up here um on the Saco river which was you know pretty cool and i don't know if that sort of planted some seed or not but um that's that's pretty much where i ended up now um i was kind of athletic growing up i used to play football um through high school um enjoyed that um and uh that was pretty much all i did for that tried baseball once or twice i was pretty terrible at it <laughs> but uh yeah i didn't really didn't really get into hiking or much other of the outdoors until i was in my you know until i was about 40 years old i'm 43 now i'll be 44 in another month or two and uh that's kind of when all that started um, so late, late arrival to the hiking game, uh, similar to my, similar to me. I didn't, I didn't start till, you know, 2015, which was what, six, six years, seven years ago now. So, yeah. You know what the kick in the pants is, is I lived in uh, Southern California for seven years from 2003 to 2009, 2010. And I was only, I've been, you know, uh, snowboarding in Tahoe and stuff and a couple of times. And I never even realized that hiking was a thing out there and like, son of a bitch, if only I had. <laughs> you know like, if only i had but um yeah late to the party you know but uh now when where did you live in southern california uh this uh pismo beach area actually. okay yeah um kind of had a friend that was, my mom's friend uh moved out there when i was young like 19 or 20 or 22 or something like that and um ended up getting invited to come out here so came out here for like seven years and then you know, due to family stuff and I was getting a little older, I figured it was time to come back to the East coast. Mm -hmm. I did that when I was like 31 or so. Yeah. Pismo's big ATV dirt bike, uh, kind of, kind of Haven. Yeah. So uh, Grover beach dunes, um, one of the only places in the country. And I'd imagine this has stayed the same the last 10 years, assuming that's, but, um, only one of the only places in the country you can actually drive out onto and take your ATVs and, and do all that sort of shit, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. um, pretty yeah, pretty good I, spot out there. I remember I taking some ATVs out there. 
uh, one time and there was a windstorm. The wind was just howling. And I was surprised that the, the paint wasn't sandblasted off of my, off of my, uh, my Chevy blazer. And, uh, one of, one of our buddies came and this was like in middle of summer and he, he showed up and we're all sitting around the fire at night and he reaches into the back of his truck and brings out his Christmas tree. Now this being June or July, this tree is pretty dry and he, he just tosses it onto the fire. It goes up like a rocket. It was, uh, it was exciting times. I bet. Yeah, it was a good spot. I used to like sleeping on the beach out there with a couple of my friends once in a while. It's literally, I literally live right across the street um, at the end of Fourth Ave in uh, Grover Beach, mm-hmm. or not Fourth Ave, but Grand Ave. Um, and I, I, I spent a, I spent a number of nights out there on those dunes. It was pretty dope. In your duplex? No, no <laughs> duplex. I just got a couple of years ago. Pretty much slept on the ground back then. Is fire, the, the, you know, whatever little cowboy camping. Nice. Yeah. This is sweet. Now growing up in, in Connecticut, I, I've always wondered this, you know, being from Southern California, we've always been surrounded by professional sports teams, basketball, baseball, football, except for the, the time period where we didn't have any football teams for a while. But um, in Connecticut, what, do you, what teams do you root for? Are you a Boston uh, so Red Sox and New England I'm Patriots? A I'm a Red Sox, New England Patriots fan. Okay. Um, although I'll admit, I'm all about some Tom Brady. So I'm all about those bucks now too. And call what you want, but the man has done way too much for me to just turn my back on him. (laughs) Mr. Mayor, um, Mr. Mayor, you and I are going to get along just fine. I I have the same (laughs) um, exact opinion. The, the, the Patriots are about, you know, their stadium was about 45, 50 minutes, maybe a little bit longer um, from where I, you know, grew up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Boston was only like an hour and 10 minutes, 15 minutes with no traffic. Um, which is not common, but, uh, you know, it's pretty close. And, um, <laughs> it's like I mean, three in the morning, three in the morning, there's no traffic, but, you know, I guess I could have went with a, a New York team or whatever, but maybe it was proximity. I have no idea, you mm-hmm. know, but, uh, yeah, uh, you know, and I know I'm not really into the basketball and hockey, but I can appreciate it when the home team does good, but yeah, okay. so it'd be, it'd be Red Sox and Patriots and I'm definitely more of a football guy. Nice. Nice. Now, a couple of years ago, I think it was uh, December, 2019, my oldest daughter said, Hey dad, let's, because we're big Patriots fans. We were big Patriots fans at the time. I still am. Mm. She said, Hey, let's, let's go to uh, let's go to, let's go to a game. And so we, we bought uh, airfare and tickets to go see the Patriots play the chiefs in December of 2019. That was the game where they got screwed by the refs uh, with uh, three or four critical bad calls that uh, shouldn't have gone that way. And they ended up losing to the chiefs by just a couple of points, but Tom was, Tom was excellent. And it was, it was quite an adventure. We had a great time. Nice. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a pretty cool experience. It's a good, it's a pretty special place over there. Yeah. I'll let you know that, you know, the, the plane tickets from Southern California to Boston were less expensive than the, the nosebleed the seats at the at Gillette. Yeah. Yes. Especially if you get those son of a bitches second uh, second market. I actually bought, I actually bought one ticket for myself to see Tom Brady and the Bucks come play this year, and I paid an obnoxious amount for it, and I got the cheapest cheapest ticket I could. But it was yeah, worth it. That was week four, um, right? Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. It was first, a, just a tight, just a tight Sunday, game. I knew it was going to be a tight first game. Sunday in October, I think it mm-hmm. was. Yeah. yeah, it was a good game though. Yep, it's pretty cool. All right. Hey, uh, what are you doing these days to pay the bills and fund your adventures? Uh, so I'm a, 
I'm a server, a waiter. I work okay. in a restaurant. Uh-huh. Um, I work in probably one of the best. Well, truth be told, I work at the uh, probably the best spot in the entire White Mountains. I'm very lucky um, and fortunate to have a spot there. And um, you want to tell us? Yeah, please tell us the name of it. Treats so me really well. Uh, tell us so the name of it so I can stop by when I'm in town. Yeah, man, the red the red fox in in Jackson Village, New Hampshire. Okay, the red fox. Yeah, it's a great spot. Huge place. Place is that, like a machine. Is that named after it's, the it's actress? Impressive. No, no, I'm not. I'm not really sure where they got the name. Um, to be honest with you, it's Red Fox. Like Red Fox years, was so. Red Fox was yeah. an actor during the during the 60s yep. and 70s. <laughs> yeah, I recall. But no, I'm not. I'm not sure where the name came from. But uh, it's a great spot, and I'm. Uh, it's like family there, and um, it's the kind of place that I was I was looking for. Um, I used to work at this one place in California. I worked there most of the time I was there. It's called the Far Western Tavern. It was in Guadalupe, California on the Pacific Coast Highway. Uh-huh. Um, it had been open since 1958 and uh, family owned at that point for almost 60 years or 50 something years. And it still is. They ended up moving it because the old man finally passed away sometime in the early 2010s, I believe, uh, after I left. But they moved it to go um, to Orchid, California. Uh but one thing I loved about that place is it wasn't corporate and it was literally like we were all family. Right. And it was a good spot. It was a nice steakhouse, you know, old school tavern. It was actually interesting tidbit. It was actually originally the palace hotel, which was built in like 1912. And they used to have, there was like, there was like gunshot holes in the wall. And it was just, it was just classic old Western saloon, old school hotel brothel, I'm sure. Like, and it was right on the, pacific coast highway in guadalupe california which is just this old you know asian mexican farming town um and it looks the part like you know there's that old little mom and pop shop right across the street that just looks like an old shithole but they make the best goddamn mexican food you have had in your life you know yeah. uh that was, a, that was a great spot and one thing i always wanted to find um for myself because um you know i i just enjoy the business i have no desire to do anything else is um something like that up here and that's exactly what the red fox is it's just a great place with a lot of great people and they 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 care about you and it's always just fucking busy and just a great spot you know and everyone likes their job and they'll get along well and it's i mean the the fucking hordes just come (laughs) yeah it's nuts it's nuts it's like literally right across the road down the street from like two of new hampshire's like most popular like family attractions and it's it's pretty wild, but um, great spot. I enjoy doing it, and uh, the place treats me well. So, yeah, the spot, you, gonna, the spot, the spot you described in California. I mean, you gotta love a place that has history like that. That's just amazing. Oh, dude, that, that place was cool. Uh, I mean, I can't, yeah, I, I can't remember right off the top. You know, half the cool shit I heard about that place and the stories and stuff. You know, but like the guy who owned it, like he got hit by a train when he was younger. It's just an ornery old fuck. Like, it's just amazing. Like, and and the heritage and. And just the whole like history around the building and the town and seriously old school. Like, mm-hmm. They don't they don't have places like that too many too often anymore, you know. And it's unfortunate that they moved it, but you know, it gets passed down and right. Other people want it to be newer and nicer, but uh, it was a great spot with a lot of history and some solid people. Yeah. Now, when I show up to the Red Fox and I sit down, I mean, what is the go-to order there? What do I need to have? Uh, so they got this thing right where. <laughs> 
we have this Jasper grill, they call them, and um, we do these combo plates. So they're basically barbecue combo plates. So some people call it grilling, some people call it barbecue. You know, everyone has their terms. Basically, what you're doing is cooking over, you know, an open flame, like an open wood flame. But there, there's these ovens called Jasper, um, Jasper oven grill ovens or something. Mm-hmm. And there's only like 11 of them in the country. And we have two of them. And, and it's weird because they're like an oven, but you use wood inside and you use the, the door and the and the vents and things to control the heat. And then just the way they're set up, there's something about them makes them very unique. And uh, yeah, we have these combo plates, you know, shrimp and steak and ribs that we, you know, the ribs are actually uh, uh, cooked a little bit slower in a different process. But, you know, the chicken and the whole shebang, we offer combo plates. It's probably, probably what we, you know, what we're most known for is that. And, uh, you know, our, our marinated uh, tips, our steak tips, they seem very popular. Nice. I'm sold. Yeah. No, they're good. <laughs> they're good. All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hear about uh, some of his outdoor adventures and uh, this thing called the White Mountain Grid. I really want to talk to you about this. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. The John Freakin' Muirpod is sponsored by Outdoor Vitals, the ultralight backpacking gear company whose mission is to improve the mental, physical, and emotional health of mankind by facilitating impactful outdoor experiences. Outdoor Vitals creates innovative technical products with confidence inspiring education that empower outdoor ultralight adventurers. Their focus on performance enables you to live ultralight with gear you can actually be confident with. Whether you're looking for an ultralight sleep system, shelter, or pack, or if you're looking for top quality apparel for the trail, you can find it at Outdoor Vitals. Do yourself a favor. Live ultra light. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. Before we get to uh, Mr. Mayor's 
adventures in the white mountains. I want to make a, a slight correction. Uh, Neil's YouTube channel is not called Neil's um, Neil's simple life. It is called the white mountain wanderers. So the YouTube channel, white mountain wanderers, check that out. Uh, a lot of great content on there. So, all right, back to, back to business here. So let's uh, I know that in our, our conversations leading up to uh, tonight's episode, uh, we had talked about some struggles that you had you had gone through, and I think you characterized them as the the lost soul days. You want to you feel comfortable sharing that with with the audience here? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we all have our we all have our bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I guess um, what you're referring to is pretty much sums up how I how I got into hiking, right? Um, so let me give you a little background. You know what? Something happened to me getting back. Like when I mentioned earlier, I came back from California. I was like 31 or something. Something happened to myself. I don't, I don't really know what it was, you know. And uh, over the course of the next 10 years, nine years, I uh, ended up in this like long depression, right? And it really didn't come on until like four or five years after. So like between the ages of like 36 to 40, we'll call it. And I don't, I don't really know how this happened. I was just not a happy person. I don't think I was where I needed to be. Felt like I had probably taken some steps back, and 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 to be just bluntly honest about it, I wasn't I wasn't doing right by myself, uh, my body, my soul, my spirit, my health, nor like I typically will say, my family or my friends. Um, and what happened was, and I'm not really sure how I got there, um, but I turned into a pretty severe alcoholic. Um, I don't really have any rhyme or reason for it, but for a good. Um, and it's not pretty, um, but for a good about five years, I, uh, I, 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 I like to say that six and a half days out of the week, I drank to finish the job, right? So pretty much every day, but one or two maybe. Um, and I don't even know what kept me from doing it on those days. Probably I just beat the shit out of myself so bad with it that I, I, I just needed to break for a day. Um, I'm not proud of that. I don't really know how I ended up in that situation. Um, you know, sometimes we just end up in these 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 situations in life and um, we're not really even sure how we got there to begin with. We just end up realizing that that's where we're at and, and you're faced with a choice, you know, and um, you can either, you know, pull your shit together or, or you can continue to falter. And um, fortunately, uh, I, I came to my senses at one point. I was... Uh, 40 years old and um realizing that i was wasting i was wasting a lot of time um and it wasn't it wasn't in my best interest and it wasn't fair to my family and it wasn't fair to the people that cared about me and a lot of this they didn't even know right i'm not it's it's amazing what you can hide from people when you want to you know what i mean Mm -hmm. especially when you develop you get enveloped in this in this this little fucking world of yours and this cocoon and this depressed state of being where you're just you get comfortable being that lonely it's it's amazing what you can fucking hide from people right um Mm -hmm. so essentially yeah what happened was i ended up in a in a in a bad spot mentally and physically for about five or five or six years of my life um and i did a lot of damage to myself i'm not proud of any of that none of it you know um but I can honestly tell you that thankfully at some point I, I, I figured it the fuck out and pulled my head on my ass. And, um, October 8th of 
2018 was the last time I ever drank. And to kind of put it in perspective, um, that last day that I did drink, <laughs> I, uh, I did have a friend there to help me with a little bit of this, but for the most part myself, I put down a 30 pack of Bud Light. I put down two and a half racks, uh, uh, two and a half, six packs of uh, IPA and almost a handle of Jameson. And by handle, I made a 1.75 liter um, almost by myself. So, you know, I don't know how we ever got to that point. Um, but thankfully, when I woke up the next day, and uh, I had it in me to to just fucking stop. <laughs> and I stopped cold turkey, and uh, it was a little rough for a little bit, you know. And um, I don't really, I don't really know again why I why I did that shit. But mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't until uh, it wasn't until I was for so I was I was 40 and a half at that point it wasn't until I was a good four or five years into it that I was just like I, I need to fix this and that took a little bit of time and then finally oddly enough I just uh just started going for walks and stuff to try to 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 break the the habitual action of you know drinking in the morning and then in the afternoon and even though at the time I was still doing it I uh just started going for walks because I knew I needed to start to do something. Like I had to have something to kind of, all right, we're going to, we just need something to interrupt this pattern, you know, and I didn't even know where to start. So I was like, oh, we'll just go walk and we'll walk at the track or whatever. And then I started doing that a little bit. And, uh, and then I'm realizing like, oh, there's, you know, there's, there's trails in the woods here and stuff. Like, let's go, let's go do that. It's a little more exciting because you can only walk around that track so many times, especially if you don't, you know, you need something to keep your interest, right? Like I'm right. trying to trying to fucking break this terrible habit. And even though it came pretty easy, it's just you know, just walking a couple circles around the track wasn't gonna fucking cut it. Um, so I started going out in the woods a little bit more and I was much more interested in getting back to like what I had in my childhood and whatever, and just being outdoors like that made it that was a much more therapeutic situation for me. Um, and it gave me the ability to think and reflect a little bit better than like I said, just you know, like a hamster on a wheel. Uh, so I started doing that in some different areas around my home. Um, I tell the story about my buddy, Eric, who, um, back home, who, uh, at the time, and I think he pretty sure he still lives there. Um, he was living on an Audubon bird sanctuary, um, a piece of land that his family had sold to them and they kept part of it for themselves. And right in his backyard is the Audubon bird sanctuary. And there's a few miles of trails there and it kind of goes up to this little hill or whatever. So, you know, being terribly out of shape at that moment, uh, I, I was, I was probably, I'm five foot 10. Um, I typically weigh between 170 and 175, you know, when I'm a little bloated, uh -huh. but, uh, at the time I was, I was pushing over 230, <clears throat> you know, which on a five foot 10 frame, I don't care who you are. It's just not, it's just not healthy. Um, and unless you're like a, you know, bodybuilder, you just shouldn't be weighing that. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, so I wasn't in the best shape and, uh, kind of went around there one day with him kind of randomly. Um, cause I was at his house shit damn near killed me. Uh, cause again, I was in terrible shape, but it kind of, we ended on this little hill that kind of looks West and sits about a hundred, 150 feet off the Valley floor, if you want to call it that. And, um, and I was like, this is pretty cool. You know, it felt good. You know, I was, 
fucking dying on the inside, but there was something about the experience that was nice. It was the end of the day. It was the golden hour. It was just, it was, it was kind of just that maybe that moment I needed. I, I don't really know. You know, um, that was June. And I don't, I don't know why I remember this date. It was June 28th or 29th of 2018. Right. Still a few months before I stopped drinking. And, uh, but it just kind of gave me that little push. And then from that point forward, there was at least a couple times a week, I made it a point to go out on some local trails. There was this one place that was local to me called Bigelow Hollow State Park. Um, for anyone that knows that area um, or might be from the area, it's actually a really nice, it's, just, it's probably about 11 miles of some pretty quality trail for being Northeastern Connecticut. There's a lot of water, there's a lot of rocks, roots, trees, hills. Um, it offers you a fair amount of different terrain and features considering um, its location, right? So, um, so yeah, I started doing that a couple times a week, um, did that through the summer. I was still drinking, tried to stop once or twice. And I don't think I really wanted it. And, uh, maybe made it a couple days and whatever. And it wasn't until, um, so that September, a couple months later, I made my way to New Hampshire for the first time. Cause somewhere in there I started branching out of my little area locally. And I started finding other trails and looking for small places. Like uh, I found the all trails app and I was just trying to find places here and there that I could just go. That was different, you know, clear my head, give me a new little place to explore outside of the little hole that I had been living in a small town that I had been living in and kind of, you know, sheltering myself off from the rest of the world. So I was just kind of branching out looking for these little places and, you know, found a bunch of cool little spots, probably did that two or three times a week. And then sometime in November, I had known of this mountain called Mount Monadnock, which is a pretty prominent, smaller mountain um, with a nice ball top. How do you spell that? Uh, M-O-N-A-D-N-O-C-K. Okay. Um, so it's about 3,288 feet, I believe, or 3,260 or something like that is mm -hmm. the um, peak kind of sits by itself in the southwestern edge of New Hampshire, not too far over the border. The actual state park is in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. Pretty sweet little spot. Um, and I like to compare that to like an actual white mountain. Uh, it's smaller. It's got a lot of terrain, a lot of the ledge, a lot of the technical shit that you'd find on some of these, a lot of these white mountain climbs, you know. And I kind of found that place, went there, and uh, – even though at that time I was still drinking, I managed to, to make my way to the top. It's about 1,700 feet of vertical gain. There's a number of ways up and uh, kind of kicked my ass, like totally, right? But mm -hmm. I remember thinking when I finally got up there, I was like, all right, well, this is dope. You know what I mean? Like this was, this was an actual mountain with a ball top and 360-degree view. There's not a lot of hills around to break the wind. So you get that experience, which I, I enjoy the winds, not nothing too crazy, but a lot of people don't they get a little uncomfortable. I like feeling that wind. Excuse me. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, so I, so I figured that, you know, I didn't figure it out, but I, you know, I, I, I realized that that was there and went and did that. And then, uh, I think a week later I, I went to Mount major, which is a little further North, um, and uh, that actually, um, Mount Major is part of the Belknap Range, which sits on the south edge of Lake Winnipesaukee in central New Hampshire. From this, you can see the entire lake. You see the, and you can see the White Mountains to the north, and you can see, you know, Maine to the to the east, and 
on good days, you can see the mountains in Vermont, maybe even further. And uh, that's when I kind of, you know, after those two weeks, that's when I kind of realized like how much I actually enjoyed it. And uh, it could really show me a little potential, kind of show me what it, what it could offer me if I was willing to put in a little bit of work and, you know, try, stop treating my body like a piece of shit and actually give a damn about myself. Um, and then it was a couple of weeks after that, that I finally, um, I finally quit drinking. And uh, for the next few months from there, I, I started using hiking as my therapy and uh, my distraction. And uh, I spent the next, you know, three or four months, just kind of a few times a week, just going wherever I could, um, learning new areas. I would go to the Caskills. I would go to Minnewaska State Park in New York. I would go to Western Massachusetts, Mount Greylock, and a few places over there. Western Connecticut, uh, Lion's Head, Bear Mountain. A uh, good little section of the AT over there that has a lot of really good spots considering it's Connecticut. Um, and, uh, you know, a few other places, you know, just over the border in Vermont. Um, it's Haystack Mountain, a little Haystack. Uh, and again, going back to my non-knock a number of times just because that place kind of gave you a lot, you know, uh-huh. kind of really. It was the most technical out of all of them. It, the views are amazing and it's you know, good place to see a sunset too. Right. Would, but, it be, uh, would it be fair or oversimplified to say that you, you kind of traded uh, one addiction for another? You know, I, I get asked that a few times, you know, mm-hmm. um, I kind of hate to use that word. Mm-hmm. Addiction is an ugly word, right? Um, kind of has a negative connotation to it in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the weird thing is I can't even say what I did was an addiction. I just mm-hmm. liked it and I hated myself, you know, um, of course, you reach a point where your body's like used to it chemically, right? Like it's just you're feeding it that substance, and it, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's got something to do with the way that metabolizes it, or it's the sugar it really likes, or the alcohol itself. But you know, it yeah. does become, I get you know, to a degree, an addiction. But yeah, maybe maybe a better word's an obsession. Yeah, right. Exactly. That, that's, that probably was a better word, dude. Honestly, yeah. um, again, like I'm not trying to downplay it or sure, you know, reword it for anyone else that might think of it differently. Um. But yeah, I think I think it was more of an obsession and it took the place of something that uh, I needed. Maybe I have no idea. Yeah. Right? Like, so, um, but uh, all I know is I I found that I enjoyed being outside and I enjoyed working for the views. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a way, you know, it's therapy and it was a way for me sure. to punish myself and kind of work out the aggressions and everything. Yeah. And um one thing I'll say about about recovery that I don't think I've mentioned while well, speaking to anyone before is it it took some time, right? Like uh, so that was August of 2018. And I can honestly tell you that it probably wasn't until the fall of 2020 where I actually felt like completely healed as a human being, right? Like uh and if I didn't have like all the mountains and peaks and the hiking to do between there. I'm not sure how that process would have gone Um, to kind of give it to you in a nutshell, just to talk about, you know, recovery for a moment. Mm -hmm. It's like the first few months, right? The first few months, the way I can describe it is, you know, when you're, when you're in that fucking haze constantly, right. That just that state of confusion and, and I guess delusion and, and just whatever. Right. It took a few months. We'll probably say two or three months before just for like the clouds to clear. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just for like the fucking haze to go away. After that, um, it was kind of like your body started to physically heal. Like the weight started coming off, you know, and, 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 and whatever was building up in your body from all that, all those toxins and everything you were constantly feeding. It was starting to slowly filter its way out and your body was starting to metabolize normal again. Your, your appetite comes back to normal. And it's not that I didn't have one before, but it's just, it's, it's a different way your body reacts and digests things and, and just works is different. Right. Um, so then, then it was probably like a few months of, you know, all right, like things are physically starting to work better. You know, I'm starting to feel better. Like within, within nine months, eight or nine months, even though I tried to lose weight before I couldn't, um, I was back down to like 160 pounds, which is, you know, 160, 165 is kind of like an ideal weight for somebody, my frame and size. Right. So that kind of just, it's just crazy how it just fell off. That actually happened within the first few months. But, uh, and, uh, after that it was, you know, more of a, a, a mental thing. Like the mind started to clear more and my brain started to work better and all that stuff. And then finally, I'd have to say the last part of it was, you know, all the emotional shit that you ended up burying away. Yeah. It's just, uh, that stuff came back and then you've got to deal with all that. And it just, it's just a long drawn out process for anybody who's kind of wondering what somebody who's been through recovery, you know, has dealt with. So it's, um, it's a little bit different for everybody I'd imagine, but that's kind of how it went for me. Yeah. If I didn't have, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it's certainly anybody who thinks it's, uh, you know, switching off, switching off or switching on a light switch. It is a much more complicated and drawn out process than that. It sounds like you were dealing with multiple levels of uh, issues as you, you know, like you said, the the physical, the the mental, the emotional, it, it all, it's all tied together. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of happens one at a time, you know, and Mm -hmm. at least that's how it happened for me. So it's not as black and white as people think, you know, it's not like all of a sudden you're just better. It doesn't work like that. The, the, uh, the obsession or the addiction could be long gone, but it's, there's, it's just takes time. Yeah. Now, Mr. Thank Mayor, you. Mr. Mayor, one of the things that, 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 that commonly comes up in my discussions with, with people on this show is that uh, people have people who are involved in outdoor adventure tend to have an obsessive personality. And they, they go down the rabbit hole on stuff. And when they, when they are, when they are hooked into something, they are, you know, full bore. I mean, they, they are, like you said, 52 weeks a year, they're out there doing it or, or or planning for it. And so it's it's easy to see how, you know, this (laughs) obsession, which, what you've done over the course of years is you have shifted this obsession from, from, from the, the negative thing to this now positive uh, outdoor experience. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, you know, just it's been pretty wonderful. I, uh, you know, kind of thankfully everything came back around, and now I, you know, my energy goes in a much different direction, and uh, my spirit is alive again, and you know, I feel like I got my life back, and then everything's you know back in motion, and uh, 
now I live in this amazing place where I get to spend time, you know, every day if I want in or on these mountains. Like I drive through the notch every day just on my way to work right by George, Mount Washington. And it's just a, it's a much more beautiful place. And it's, it's, you know, what's come out, you know, as, as shitty as all that stuff was and all the nonsense I did to myself because it's no one's fault but my own. There's a, <clears throat> there's a lot of beauty that came out of it. And uh, so we should definitely focus on that and, not so much, you know, the dark part of it. Right. But, uh, yeah. you know, if it wasn't for that, I can, I can honestly tell you if I didn't put myself through that and I didn't do that bullshit and I didn't, it didn't happen the way it did that I wouldn't be where I am now. And, and, uh, that's what a pretty solid, solid life. At least I like to think, mm-hmm. and, you know, living in the white mountains and, and surrounded by, by beauty and people now. So, right. Uh, congratulations on, you know, grabbing the reins and, and moving that horse in a, a completely different direction, no, no matter how difficult it was. And another thing that commonly comes up is that everything that's happened in our past has uh, led us to this point. And so, absolutely. Yeah. It seems to, that seems to be a, a, uh, an agreed upon concept there. Now I've got in my notes here and you, I, I can't wait to hear about this. I've got in my notes, something called the white mountain grid, uh, which consists of 48 of New Hampshire's biggest peaks. And then I've got every month. And then I've got another note saying 576 annual peaks. So did I get something confused there? Explain that whole thing to me. What, what, yeah. All right. Yeah. So um, a little, a little more clear, I guess. Uh <clears throat> So most, uh, you know, maybe some people might know that there is uh, 48 designated peaks and summits in the White Mountains uh, that the that the 4,000 footer committee um, or group or whoever is that decided all this, the AMC there, um, designate as the 4,000 uh, 4, footers. Um, and they range from 4,000 feet up to 6,288 feet, which would be Mount Washington. Um each peak has to have a designated amount of prominence from another peak. Um, so you're not at least to give it some distinction. Um, and there's 48 of them. Uh, the idea is that you, um, all 48 of those peaks, which a lot of people do for themselves and then just, you know, do the 48 and they might go further than that and keep hiking or whatever, but there's been about 18 and 19,000 finishers since they've kind of been keeping track or whatever you can register. I, I never did, but, mm-hmm. um, they do keep a, a tally on it to a degree. Um, so there's 48 of those, right? Um, and the idea with the white mountain grid is you take all of those and you do them in every single month of the year. It doesn't have to be done in a single calendar year. Although one person has done that, which is fucking unreal. And then there is another person who's done a single year grid, not in a calendar year. Uh, my friend, Phil, he did it from the, beginning of august until the next beginning of the next following july mm-hmm. rather than january through december so Got two it. people have done it in less than a year um but it's not required so you're doing you're doing 48 peaks times 12 to give you 576 peaks overall that's that's the end goal so you've done every single one in every single month of the year uh, which can be a pretty daunting task in the end you'll have to hike somewhere around 3500 miles you know, depending on how you do it, um, it doesn't really matter how long it takes you. Uh, some people go at it pretty hard and finish it in three or four years, which is a pretty good time. Uh, typically, it's going to take the average person, I would say, five to 10 years. And as opposed to 20,000 finishers, I'm pretty sure the grid count is only up to 121 at this point. 
Wow. And so, so if I get this, if I get this, let me get this straight in my mind here, you're doing 48, you're doing all 48 of those peaks each month of the year. And so, you know, one one year, one year you might, you might get, uh, you know, August in and October in, right. Do the 48. Yeah. You might actually call gritting them out where you're like, all right, I don't have to do any more specific peaks this month, month. Like my January coming into this month, I only needed, I think 12, and I've um, already knocked out four or six of those. Um, so I may, I may end up having January gridded out. So I don't have to do that next January, but uh, yeah, that's essentially what that means. Got it. So, so it could be also, uh, so what you just described it to me is that, that, you know, you could, you could knock out 10 in this January and then, you know, you, know, you previously you had done, you know, 18 and then that leaves you with, you know, 20 more you have to do next January or, or the next couple of Januarys. Is that how it Correct. works? Yeah. Correct. Okay. Yeah. You know, most people will just kind of knock out what they can, you know, do whatever they can this January. And then the next January, they work on the ones they haven't done. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do try to take that approach, but I do like mixing it up and revisiting things. I try not to make it my, my sole priority. Mm-hmm. I did that for the first 10 and a half months that I lived here from May of 2020 up until uh, April of this past 21. And I found myself getting burnt out personally. I did near, damn near half the whole grid in the 10 and a half months. And, um, and uh, you know, some people like to go hard like that. I have friends that have, you know, just been working on it nonstop for the last year, year and a half. And they want to do it in two years or two and a half years. And that's all they do. But, and I can appreciate that, but I don't like to put that sort of responsibility on myself. It's a little, I went pretty hard before and it, it was just not really the approach I wanted to take. So if it takes me a little bit longer, I'm going to mix another stuff and not, not make it the priority every single time out. Right. And we're not talking about just talk, just climbing 48 peaks. We're talking about the, the complete grid, which would be 576. 576 wow. is the total is the yeah. final number of uh, peaks and summits you would have hit mm-hmm. um, designated. And then that's whatever other ones you have to walk over that don't count or whatnot, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of miles There's well over a, a million feet of total vertical by the time it's all said and done. And again, if uh, you're not familiar, like I know a lot of people knock our mountains, they think they're small or this and that, but if you haven't been to the white mountains, all I can tell you is that terrain, the terrain can get fucking rugged, you know, and uh, they're not as easy as you think, you know I mean? A lot of these are only three or, 4,000 feet of vertical gain to get. They don't sit real high above sea level, but uh, they're, they're not easy. You know, yeah, um, a I lot think, of the, I think that's a, a lot key. of the through hikers will tell you when they come to the white mountains, they weren't ready. Yeah. I think that's you know? a, a key, a key point you just pointed out there is that they don't sit too high again, above sea level. And yet they're, you know, over 4,000 feet. So you're, you're doing all, all 4,000 of that, that vertical climb or up to 6,200 yeah. feet with, uh, with Mount Washington. I think yeah. a lot of us West coasters who are thinking, oh, 4,000 feet, that can, that's not a lot. You know, we're, we're over here hiking in the Sierras and we're going over passes that are, you know, 13,000 feet. Yeah. 10, but 10, like how much is the, how much is the vertical gain? That you exactly. Get? Exactly. You're probably still only getting four or 5,000 feet of vertical. And yeah, if that, you know, if, if that, right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, so you can look at the overall number of the, you know, the overall height of the mountain. Right. It's a little misleading and you can brag about like, you know, you know, who's got the bigger dick. Right. But like it comes down to like, 
the terrain and, and, and what you're dealing with. And I'm, I'm sure the altitude has something to do. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away. It's just, right. but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be quick to knock, you know, knock the number itself. Right. It's just, right. Um, it's a little misleading. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, you come here in the shoulder season, you come here in the dead of winter. Um, and goddamn, the shoulder seasons are gnarly. You know, it's just where things are, nothing stable. Things are rotting. There's ice. You can't, you, you know, you're post hauling even with snowshoes on, like, mm-hmm. You know, that that five or six or 10 miles up the, up, you know, to get to a certain peak or whatever, it it could be fucking grueling, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just not as, it's just not as clear cut as, as they think, but uh, yeah, the mountains here are pretty rugged. Um, Thankfully of a couple of them that are, you know, not so bad, but uh, all in all, it's, it's, it's pretty, uh, it can be pretty rugged and uh, that weather can turn on you pretty quick and get pretty vicious. Um, a lot of people don't realize that I believe I'm not mistaken and I don't claim to be a, you know, weatherman, but, uh, Mount Washington sits right in the middle and the Northern presidential sit right in the middle of three different weather patterns that hit, you know, that one specific place in the country. And there's a reason that it's known to have the worst weather in the country. Um, and only be at, you know, between tree lines between four and 6,000 feet. Um, it just changes quickly and it can get pretty rough. Um, yeah, I've heard stories so about some to, yeah, really, with. really nasty weather on Mount Washington that just can oh, yeah. a- appear real quick. Absolutely. Um, went up Mount Washington via the cog with my buddy last week. I was talking about the trekking poles. And uh, on a day that was supposed to be 20 mile an hour winds and, um, you know, at the top, 20, 25 mile an hour winds with uh you know, just some cloudiness ended up by the time we started coming off the top shortly thereafter, they hit 80 miles an hour and, uh, you know, the visibility was pretty bad. So the, the idea is, and I'm not suggesting anybody ever go up there in that, but we took the cog railway. So you can pretty much just follow the, we didn't take the railroad, right. Mm-hmm. But you can follow the railway up the side of the mountain. Right. So you have a hard line, even no visibility. You can literally, mm-hmm. you could walk the tracks technically if you had to, to get back mm-hmm. down safely. Don't recommend that to anybody. It was a foolish day to do it. Um, but it's just to kind of put it in perspective, all right, we're supposed to have 20 to 25 mile an hour winds. Maybe they're going to pick up later in the day. Well, by 930 in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning, they're approaching 80 miles per hour. And, you know, there was ice balls flying across the top of the summit. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, I don't recommend that. We just... I felt comfortable with the party that I was with. And, um, we, again, we had, we had the hard line of the cog to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't supposed to be like that. And the only reason I know that is because my good friend Patrick works up in the Mount Washington, um, state park up there and they've got the observatory and he was, he, he basically lives up there four days out of the week and he was up there when this was happening. Um, so he's the one that gave me those numbers. And, uh, I, but it's just you got to be careful it can yeah. turn fast and the weather yep. can get pretty pretty rough you know yeah now if i take the train up there because does that count can i cross it off no. my grid no no are you sure no, you gotta you gotta walk from you gotta walk from the parking <laughs> lot up to the top and you have to walk all the way back okay so if you get all the way to number 576 and you don't make it back to your car on your own power like you bust an ankle or something 10 feet from it it don't count Oh man, yeah, Heart, come back heartbreaker. Do it again. <laughs> heartbreaker. Now I just did yeah. a quick I did a quick search, quick Google here uh while while you were talking. And Mount Washington, the official record low is 50 below. 50 yes. below. That was recorded January 22nd, 1885. 
uh, the official record cold. That's ambient temp too. That's that's not. They don't measure wind chill. That's correct. That's correct. The official record cold. Uh, I guess when they had more accurate record keeping was uh, 28 below in 1995, February of 1995. So that is, Again, that is no joke. If you even go to the, uh, the observatory's Instagram page, they'll tell you straight up. They don't, they don't do windshield measurements. They do ambient temp. They don't do feels like, so that's, that's a true, you know, almost minus 30. Yeah. Windchill. That's, you, that's, that's, that's not for them. Yeah. No, they don't, they don't, uh, they don't keep track of that number. All right. Hey, what, uh, what's next for you, Neil? I mean, Mr. Mayor, what, uh, what's next on your adventure list? Uh, so, you know, got a few days off here. Um, I'm going to plan on probably hitting, uh, a couple of the smaller mountains on Saturday. It's supposed to be nice and cold, but really clear and blue skies. And then for the rest of the winter, I'll just keep working on my grid. I'm up to the number, what, 338 now. I did just a couple days back when we did the Franconia Ridge Trail. Went up the loop and hit Mount Lincoln and Lafayette. I did that with some friends a couple days back. Um, so I'll just pretty much keep working on my grid and keep hiking with my friends. I enjoy uh, doing a lot of YouTube videos, and I, I kind of work that into, into my hiking experience, I guess you could say. I don't do them every time out. I used to. Um, now my schedule just doesn't really allow for it to be done and done the way I want to do it. So... I usually pick a spot every once, once a week where I'll, you know, I'm going to make a video or I pick a uh -huh. hike or a certain occasion or whatever, and uh, kind of feature that on my, on my YouTube. So I, I like to do that as well. So for the rest of this, for the rest of the winter, and probably just as we go here, I'll just be plugging away at that grid and, and throwing in other cool shit. That's just fun for me to do. And maybe some other friends have some things that they want to achieve or, or they're finishing their 48 or, whatever other milestone and uh mm -hmm. make sure that i'm make sure that i'm there to experience that and celebrate that with them okay now on your youtube channel white mountain wanderers uh what, what kind of content can people expect to find there are, you, are there instructional videos are they tips and tricks are they are you detailing uh some particular particular peaks out there uh so so what i kind of did with it was uh, i kind of started it at first just so my my folks could see what i was doing mm-hmm you know, kind of take them along because it's not, this isn't something they do or whatever. They're older, <clears throat> not that much older, but you know, it's just not their thing. So I, I kind of started doing it originally for them so that they could see. And, and then I thought, well, there's no one out there who's documented their entire grid in video form. So then I was like, all right, well, I started doing that, you know, and making sure I think I started it when I was on peak, I did Jefferson was my very first real shitty video. I just pretty much took the stills that I was trying to get images with and pieced together like a minute and a half. Right. And I think that was peak number 150 or 152. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, a little over a year ago. And uh, so I started using it to, you know, again, show my folks and then document my grid. And then as I got a little bit better at it, um, I, uh, so I got my whole single season winter that I did last winter on um, where you do all 48 in a single winter season. So that was kind of cool. I added that to it. And then uh, I had friends who started like finishing things. I got a friend who finished a grid. I have a couple of them now. Um, I have some little children that have finished their uh, 48 other friends that have finished their 48 different, different, you know, milestones and things. And I started making videos of their days and just kind of pretty rewarding in a sense. Right. And uh, so that's kind of what I started doing. That's what's made of just, just our days out in the mountains, um, different times of the year, 
uh, and just trying to capture what we see, what our day is, maybe capture a moment for somebody else and uh, try to put out a little more content um, of what we've got going on here in the whites and what, and what the terrain offers and the views and the people mm-hmm. and started focusing more on the community aspect of it. And uh, yeah, you know, I guess kind of what it is. As you were talking, I pulled up your YouTube page and immediately just subscribed. And uh, oh, thanks, it looks, it looks, you, you have a clean presentation. Just looking at the videos in your, in your library here, they all have the same consistent uh, style with the titles. They range anywhere from, you know, three and a half minutes to like what, 20, 25 minutes I'm seeing here. Yeah, roughly. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Working on a couple more right now. I, I, what I'm working on right now is actually our summer, our winter solstice hike. We traversed the Southern Presidentials and uh, finished with a sunset on Mount Jackson. And that's uh, kind of what I'm working on now. I got another, and then I've got Mount Washington coming up behind that, um, which was actually over two days because we cut, turned around the, the day before the one I just talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple more that I got, uh, that I've got recorded. I just, I try to do them in chronological order. So, okay. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, trying to try to put out as much as I can on there. And over a year I've done, like 115 videos or so. And uh, I guess I seem to get a lot of good feedback on them. And, you know, so it's kind of cool. I don't know. I never thought I'd be a YouTuber. It's not really something that I ever even thought of, but I like, I like kind of capturing our day and kind of, like I said, just showing what, showing what we got going on over here. You didn't tell the, you didn't tell the people I care about. You didn't tell the guidance counselor in high school that you're going to, you want to be a YouTuber. Um, probably would have laughed at me. I'm not even sure you would have known what it was then, what it was back then. Yeah, it wasn't. That's the, that's the thing. Yeah. Now, uh, Neil simple life, uh, the Instagram account, uh, I'm, I'm assuming and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, Neil simple life kind of, yes, it refers to that, you know, that refocusing of, you know, being out in nature and just kind of focusing on, on the, the important stuff out there. Yeah. Yeah. When I, I, I think I started posting like outdoor pictures and stuff when I was started my recovery. So I think I used to, I think I used to talk a little bit more about that on there. Mm-hmm. And now it's just kind of like just throwing some images out there of, of, you know, photos of our, of, you know, random views or people or, you know, kind of whatever. It's, it's nothing, nothing too crazy, but, uh, mm-hmm. seems to garner some interest and, uh, people seem to appreciate what I share there. Yeah, I just try to try to share some good pictures of what we see. And, you know, again, like once in a while, a nice group shot of me and whoever I'm with and, you know, just just stuff like that. Trail pics, sometimes a bird or something. (laughs) Kind of got these gray jays here that people seem to love. And uh, yeah, yeah, good good stuff on whatever I can, whatever I think I got a decent shot of on my phone, which these iPhones, I got to tell you, hats off to them. They were pretty, pretty fucking amazing. Yeah. Considering that they're just a phone. Yep. Multi, multi-function tool. Yeah. Yeah. Great little thing. It's my one luxury. Yep. Now uh, let's do a quick impromptu top five list. If I can pin you down of the 338 uh, peaks that you've done so far, what, what are your, your, your favorite five? My favorite five. All right. So there's, again, there's pretty much only, I mean, aside from other mountains, there's only 48 peaks in there. Um, <clears throat> But I think that's true. Think, that's that's true. I think maybe yeah. then, uh, <laughs> thank I you for the maybe, correction. <laughs> I, I think I think over that, I think um rather than trying to pick five peaks that I like the most, I, I think I'd rather just share five uh, experiences that I think were pretty uh okay, pretty pretty telling, I guess. Um 
first one would be on my first first round of the 48 which is when i first got into it i did a uh I did a bonds traverse. So what you do is you hit Mount Zealand and you go over the bonds. It goes from north to south. It's 20 miles. And you kind of start at one point, spot a car on the other side of the mountains to the Pamija Wasset Wilderness, right? Uh, that was one year. That was my one year anniversary of being sober. And I saved that one for then just because I heard it was great. And, you know, it's just epic shit, right? Like you come out, there's just lots of great viewpoints along the way. And then when you get halfway, you come out in the middle of Pemi and it's like, you're in a completely different world. Uh, well, the interesting thing about that was I had picked the day to do it on a certain day. I wasn't willing to compromise like the day. Right. So mm -hmm. I was just like, all right, well, this is my one year. This is when we're doing it. This is meaningful shit. Right. <laughs> and then, uh, and then uh, I get there, man. It's like, within, it's just like a 10 mile, you know, 10 hour hike. Right. Or whatever, give or take an hour, depending and uh, about 20 minutes after we started, I mean, even even down at the lower elevation, like everything was just fucking socked in. Like you couldn't see shit. So I went about 20 miles that day. I could never see more than 50 feet in front of me the entire time. And the bonds, if you've ever been on Bond Cliff or West Bond or again, going over Gia when you get to Treeline, it is, I mean, it's an experience that your eyes won't forget. It's, it's, it's fucking insane. Um, and I got none of that. <laughs> not a single bit so you're walking I, in a white tunnel yeah i was the white tunnel the whole way and the yeah. person with me i could you know probably 20 yards in front of me or behind me at times you could barely see them it was so thick you know but that one was more about the experience and the right. purpose of conquest you know like never did i think i'd be 20 miles through the wilderness and you know one year later we were feeling pretty good about ourselves okay another time was uh so mount jefferson um which is one of the northern presidentials we uh we went up there in late, late, late October. And, uh, again, the hard shells are very important. And, uh, that's a very exposed mountain, um, high up almost 6,000 feet at the summit, um, about 57 and change, but we get up to tree line and it's like a fucking monsoon coming in sideways at like with, with like 40 or 50 mile an hour winds. And I mean, the winds coming in sideways. I mean, the, the rain, excuse me, the, the wind is causing the rain to come in sideways. So you're just forced forced gump rain. Uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty obnoxious. And, and the crazies that I just happened to be with that day, they were very comfortable. So I was like, screw it. If you guys are comfortable, we got down. But by the time we were finished, we were all completely soaked through hard shells or not. Um, and just had the best old time and just, but to be up there in that heavy rain and like just being blown over and, and everything was, was in late October. That was pretty wild. That's type two fun right there. Yeah. Yeah. And another, another time was, that was pretty amazing is I actually finished my single winter season 48 on that same mountain um, with some of the most amazing undercasts that I've ever seen. Um, and I'm not, everyone knows what that is. Obviously when the, when you're higher than the clouds, right. Mm -hmm. It's just like a sea of clouds below you and all you can see in the distance is the peaks of the mountains and, everything above is like blue sky and sun. It's this very surreal kind of thing. If you've never seen it before, it's a, uh, it's pretty cool. Undercast. I don't think I've heard that term before, but that, that perfectly yeah, describes I mean, it. I'm not sure yeah. if we're like, if it's the proper terminology, it's it, just kind it of works. what we use here, but it's the inversion of the clouds, right? It's just, yeah. you're higher than them and they just get low in the Valley and when they cover everything really well, you know, it's not like just a patch over there When they cover everything really well. It, it, it does look, it does look pretty, pretty amazing uh another time that was pretty special was when i actually finished my original 48 um on mount isolation in the middle of winter by myself um 
I'm not really sure why I did it alone. A lot of people do it. A lot of people I know anytime I've got a friend now that goes, there's like usually a herd of us. Well, it's but, called uh, Mount, it's Mount Isolation. Yes. Sounds like you need to do it by yourself, right? I mean, it's in the title. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's, it's a weird, it's a weird peak that kind of sits on the South Egypt on the Southeast side of um, the presidential range, mm-hmm. kind of in a pocket over there, but it's well off of route 16 and you got to kind of go up over this place called engine Hill. And, um, it's just, it's not that far out there. It's, it's like a 14 mile hike at worst. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but for whatever reason, they call it Mount isolation. Okay. It's just, a, it's a pretty cool spot. You get a pretty epic, uh, view of the presidentials from there. And, uh, it just being my first round of finishing the 48 and, uh, kind of realizing that little goal was, was pretty special considering, you know, again, right. You know, how things have been previously. I think that's four. That is four. Um, one more and there's 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 probably a ton and uh i have a friend i have a friend who finished the grid back on august 1st um he finished on mount musalak which is the southwesternmost peak um in the first four thousand foot you'll hit um coming over the appalachian trail uh it's a nice big bald meadowy knob and uh just a really, really nice mountain. And the, the weather up there can get pretty nasty if you're not careful. It's not usually a very kind environment, even in the summer. It just can be windy and angry and socked in and whatever. But uh, I had a friend of mine who finished his grid. He had been working on it for 14 years. And we went up there one day and, you know, you don't tell the AMC people, but whatever. We all respect what we do and we all have more experience than most. But there was like 28 of us. <laughs> and we went up there and we, you know, and it was the, we had the whole weekend that we took to celebrate my buddy and, and his accomplishment. And then we had a whole slew of us. And uh, he finished his he finished his White Mountain Grid after 14 years. And um, to see that, and I, I've been on a couple others, but um, just to see how happy he was and, um, see how many people it brought together and we all share in this common interest which really kind of sums up what i do um with white mountain wanderers it was um it was a pretty eye-opening experience and it really it really made me realize like how special like actually finishing that is because again it's not easy and it takes many years most people and uh to, to actually reach that point and like like really just walk side by side with him that last like you know mile and just the reaction and, and just knowing, and, and I, I spent a good part of my year before, you know, helping him and grinding with him, getting a lot of those done so he can get in position to finish that day, you know? Mm-hmm. So I know, I know the push that he gave, he put in the last six to eight months and to just kind of walk that last walk with him and experience that day with him was, was pretty fucking special. Um, must've must have been electric. It, it was, it was pretty good. There's yeah. a video. It's called Mount Musalox from uh, August 1st is the All date. Right. And uh, if anybody wants, here's this wants to see what you know we need to what check kind of experience out. we had that day yeah. it was uh it was pretty cool so that's that's probably up there too i mean i, I probably list yeah. a bunch of other shit but those are like the five that came to mind those you know? are those are all those are all epic uh hey, worthy uh, moments mr mayor when when are you when are you projecting your finish to the 576 to the grid uh so if it goes the way i want it to mm-hmm. um the only thing that should keep me that shouldn't that might keep me from knowing it is my May and April because of the injuries I had this past year are pretty naked and I'd have to have two pretty solid springs to set me up for this, but I'm hoping to finish on bond cliff in June of 2023. Okay. Which is one of the best spots in the whites. Um, again, doing that bonds traverse. I actually, 
busted my ankle. I wasn't able to do it this spring with some friends in June and mm-hmm. we'll call it a blessing because if I had done it, I wouldn't be able to finish there. And I think after some thought and consideration that if, uh, if I can work, if the stars line up, right. Right. Cause there's a lot of things that have to go right between now and then to actually be able to plan out a specific spot. Um, I'll be able to finish then on that day. Well, let's, that book, let, let's book it right now. July, 2023, you come back on and you tell us about the experience. No, we'll do, man. Okay. Uh, you know, I, it's just, uh, I know one of the reasons I'm doing this for myself is I have a buddy who says, you know, you, you know, uh, my, my friend, Phil, he's a goddamn legend, right? Um, he, he has this expression where he says, you know, doing the grid, man, just for more than just to say you did. And, uh, it kind of hits home because when I started doing this, I was a very, like, like you said earlier, I was a very lost individual. Uh, I didn't really. I, I didn't know how far I'd, I'd make it in life or any of that shit. And like many of us, right. We have, we have our issues, but to actually put myself in a position where I can actually physically and mentally and emotionally achieve a feat like that. I don't know, man. I, I just feel like I'm going to come out a different person than when I went in. Yeah. The, the, and, grid, uh, the grid. I look forward to seeing that growth. Yeah. The grid and nature uh, are transformational. Absolutely. You, you went in one person, you're coming out another another version of it's, yourself. It's the nature, you know. Yeah. The grid's just the vehicle. Just like right. anybody who threw hikes, it's like you know that when you go into it, when you come out, mm-hmm. something's gonna be changed. Yep. Hey, Mr. Mary, you know where we are? I do not. We are at that time of the episode where I turn to you and ask for your pro tip insight of the week. What bit of trail wisdom, outdoor adventure uh, insight can you share with our listeners to make their next experience even better? Uh, Let's see. One thing I would have to say is uh, when you go into these experiences and you start putting yourself out there and you start to, spending your time out on the trails and in nature and uh, in the mountains, just remember that you're doing it for you. It's hard to get caught up when you, especially when you tend to be like me and you hang out with, you know, surround yourself with a lot more people and you, you can lose focus on, on why you're doing it, I guess. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of that, like being around folks and everything, just, just, but uh, just remember why you're doing it, do it for yourself. And uh, first and foremost, Use it to uh, keep your own mind, your own body, um, you know, healthy. Keep your own spirit, you know, where where you want it to be, and 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 don't let um, don't let anything interrupt that, you know, and 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 impede on those experiences that you might need for yourself first. Um, just remember to uh, to kind of do it for you and your own, and uh, be patient with it. Um, don't, don't compare yourself to what other people are able to do physically or, or the kind of goals that they're setting for themselves. Just go into it with a clear mind and kind of try to keep focus on yourself and what's in front of you. Um, because it's really easy to get caught up in the, the community or the hype or like someone else telling you you should do this or do that, or do go after this or go after that. Just, just try to remember why you're doing it and, uh, try to get out of it what you need for you and, uh, keep your focus there. You know, it's, it's probably the best, the best thing I could say to anybody. Um, well said, well said, great advice. 
So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with the mayor. I want to thank him for joining us this week. Mr. Mayor, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Just give them the, uh, the Instagram and the, and the YouTube channel again. Yeah. So one more time, my, my Instagram is Neil simple life, N E A L S underscore simple underscore life. Um, I like to share a lot of my photos there. And once in a while, I show a little commentary uh, and then, my main focus, I guess, is the YouTube White Mountain Wanderers, just kind of sharing what we do here, um, what you might see here, and what you can expect when you uh, might come here at different points in the year. Um, just something I like to share, and hopefully everybody feels like I do a decent job of doing that, not talking about myself too much. Okay. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Mr. Mayor, we got to get you on TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakamir at gmail.com. Mr. Mayor, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, website, some some kind of adventure media to keep our listeners connected to the the trail in the off-season here. Now we're calling this our adventure media recommendation. What do you have for us? Adventure media? Oh, boy. So uh, I want to have to go with that fella um, in his YouTube, IBTAT, somebody that I've kind of followed for a while might be redundant here at this point and i feel like you probably had him on but uh um i learned a lot from watching his videos um one thing i appreciate about him is he's always very real i've never had a chance to interact with him not that i think i've ever reached out but um yeah that's that's kind of where i started like like with my sort of reaching out and trying to like find some good shit on the media and whatnot um there's a lot of great books on the white mountains out there as well um, that I can't remember the names of right now. Um, but yeah, those would probably be my two recommendations. Search white for, search for books about the White Mountains. And uh, if you want somebody who keeps it fucking raw and real and, uh, you know, shares a lot and uh, gives you a lot of content, quality content and quality narrative uh, commentary, uh, IBTAT would be a good place to start. Yes, good suggestion. He's been on the podcast twice. Uh, might be if, if you want to listen to a couple of episodes, those would be the two episodes I'd recommend to you. Uh, if you have a chance, listen to to his. I'll his throw time. it on when I'm done here. Yeah, he he is he keeps it real. He is a lot of fun to talk to. He shoots it straight. And my mom, who's in her 70s, uh, she is his biggest fan. You know, she she listens to the podcast here, of course, and uh, she heard his episode, first episode, and has been following him ever since, you know, watching his YouTube videos as he finished the Continental Divide Trail this season. And she's just, she's hooked on IBTAT. So there you go. Fun for the whole family, he says. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, and before we wrap things up, I've got one more segment for you called What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About? What do we miss tonight? Oh, what do we miss tonight? Oh man, fuck! I don't know. Did, what did we, we miss? Did we get it all out? <laughs> Probably not, dude. <laughs> I'm sure I'm drawing some blanks. I'm, I'm sorry about that. That's all right. Okay, that is a wrap from the John Freaking Mirror Studio. Any shout-outs to friends and family, Mister Mayor? I've heard Phil's name mentioned a couple times. Yeah, so really fast, a few of the people that mean the most to me here. Um, I'm going to go with my buddy Greg, my my girl Danielle, um, great couple right there, my friend Stacy, uh, my buddy Phil, Joe Mama. Uh, I'm going to miss a whole bunch of people here. Um, Mary, uh, my buddy Jared, my good friend Ashley, my good friend Ashley Furness. I need a shout out to her. Um, I don't know. That woman showed me a lot 
showed me a lot of strength. She's responsible for uh, a little bit of my life here. And uh, I don't know. There's a few people that I could just give a lot of love to right now, but there's a lot of us and I certainly don't mean to forget anybody. But. Well, Neil, thank you very much for sharing your story tonight. It is uh, inspirational and uh, powerful. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, my man. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. Doesn't care if you want to go downhill. Doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you're working on 576 peaks and 1 million feet of vertical. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.